O Lord my God, in you do I take refuge. Save me from all my pursuers and deliver me, lest like a lion they tear my soul apart, rendering it in pieces with none to deliver. O my God, if I have done this, if there is wrong in my hands, if I have repaid my friend with evil or plundered my enemy without cause, let the enemy pursue my soul and overtake it, and let him trample my life to the ground and lay my glory in the dust. Arise, O Lord, in your anger. Lift yourself up against the fury of my enemies. Awake for me. You have appointed a judgment. Let the assembly of the peoples be gathered about you. Over it, return on high. The Lord judges the peoples. Judge me, O Lord, according to my righteousness and according to the integrity that is in me. O let the evil of the wicked come to an end. And may you establish the righteous, you who test the minds and hearts, O righteous God. My shield is with God, who saves the upright in heart. God is a righteous judge and a God who feels indignation every day. If a man does not repent, God will wet his sword. He has bent and readied his bow. He has prepared for him his deadly weapons, making his arrows fiery shafts. Behold, the wicked man conceives evil and is pregnant with mischief and gives birth to lies. He makes a pit, digging it out and falls into the hole that he has made. His mischief returns upon his own head, and on his own skull his violence descends. I will give to the Lord the thanks due to his righteousness, and I will sing praise to the name of the Lord, the Most High. I absolutely love the Word of God. I hope hearing that read over you ministered to you. I love that God's Word is real, it's raw, it's gritty. When we go to God's Word, it is not just kind of empty, superficial, chicken soup for your soul cliches that don't really help you. When we hear that, when we read God's Word, it is full of real people facing real issues, experiencing a real God. I love that about the Word of God. And we know in this time that we're in that God is using this time in many different ways. One of the ways I pray that he uses it in my life, in our lives, is that as we have more time to spend in God's word, that we fall more in love with his word, that we find out it truly is living and active. So I would love that we would pray to that end now. Will you pray with me? Father, you say that your word is living and active, and we give you thanks for your word that you have spoken to us through your scriptures and it is living and active, that you continue to speak to us. God, my hope and prayer, God, is that you would move in this time. And even, even if it is virtual, that as we gather as a church, God, that you would speak, that your word would come alive in this time. God, I proclaim I am not sufficient for that task. But God, if you would move by your spirit, that is our hope. And we give you thanks in the glorious name of Christ. Amen. Well, I love God's word. 
And I do love the Psalms as we just got into. The Psalms are so clutch, in particular, if you are struggling and wrestling through things like many of us are. The Psalms just covers the gamut of every human emotion. The spectrum of our human experience is covered in the Psalms, and it teaches us, man, how do we walk with God through all these emotions? So man, if you are in the thick of it right now, I'd encourage you to turn to the Psalms. I mean, many of us, I think coming out of this time, should consider that just reading a Psalm a day of how do we process with God, because we all need it. Let's face it, these are anxious times that we're in. I mean, in the midst of this, I mean, so many things are uncertain. You and I were created for connection, and that is very much a struggle for us right now. So in the face of kind of that uncertainty, our anxiety goes up. we got to figure out how can we process that with God. I know I'm feeling it. I mean, for me, I get very stir-crazy, and I've just been like court-appointed that I'm on house arrest, and so I'm feeling just jumpy from that, let alone just the anxiety of the situation we're in. I'm sure I'm not alone in that. I mean, I kind of just, you can just feel it throughout your day. One example I realized where it was kind of wearing on me is this past week, I found out my electric went out. And my normal reaction when my electric goes out is like, that's dumb, and I hope it comes back on soon. But this time I got a text that my electric went out, and with kind of everything going on, I was kind of like, why'd the electric go out? Like, what, what's, ha- what's wrong with the electric? Like, why is it happening? Like, man, maybe like the, the, con- the coronavirus is now, it's in the computers, it's a computer coronavirus. And I'm like, I feel myself getting more anxious. And to be clear, uh, that is medically and scientifically impossible. And so you don't think I'm actually losing it. I didn't actually think that uh, the coronavirus got in the computers. But I, I'm trying to make the point that, man, these are anxious times. And how do we walk with God through that? How do we process life in a way that honors God? And the Psalms are a wonderful playbook of that. So let's turn our attention back into Psalm 7, which was already kind of read over us together. Now, see, in Psalm 7, we don't know the exact context that David is working through here. But we do know some of where he's at. So if we look at this psalm together, clearly David is in distress. David is crying out to God, save me, deliver me. David is in a rough way. And it's not just like have a bad day kind of rough way. He's not just stressed out like, Mom, my TPS reports, I didn't get them in on time. I mean, did you hear what David said? How he feels. He says he feels it's almost like a lion is chasing him, about to rip his soul apart. So where David is at is he is in distress, and it is bad. He feels hopeless. He says in verse 2 that there is none to deliver him. He's crying out to God, save me, God. This is bad, and if you don't show up, I'm in trouble. David feels helpless. And even worse yet, if we look at David's circumstance, he is being innocently persecuted. 
He is suffering as of to no fault of his own. Charles Spurgeon called this psalm the song of the slandered saint. See, that's the situation. We don't know exactly what's happening, but somebody slandered David, King David, who wrote this psalm, and they are pursuing him, persecuting him, and he is raging because he knows he's innocent. He says that, God, if I have done this, I'll pay the price. He says, God, search me. Search my mind, my heart. And literally, it says, my kidneys. I kid you not, if you look at verse 9, most Bibles footnote above heart, I just find that funny that that is their expression. You know, we have those like, man, I just feel it in my bones. They don't really make sense. But for David, that's how he expressed it. To my heart and my kidneys. Try that with your wife today. It's like, babe, I love you. I love you from the depths of my kidneys. You know, I just know it. I just know I'm right. You know, I'm going to start making up body parts. Like, I just feel it in my colon, babe. So that's where David is at. He's innocent, and he is struggling. And we all, I think, just innately great against this. If you have ever suffered unjustly, you know what David is feeling right now. I mean, to prove this point, I don't know why this came to mind, but you think of, you know, an NBA player. <laughs> Remember the good old days when, when, when there was an NBA, you know? Uh, all right? So, you know, think of, and it could be any sport, but I don't know why I thought of an NBA player, but think of an athlete, and a ref calls a foul on the wrong person. Like, think of that athlete's reaction. I mean, they flip out, like make a grown man throw in his mouthpiece. You ever watch that? I mean, just like, I mean, they are just like losing their mind. You know, LeBron, you can't doubt, you know, one of the greatest of all time. But man, he had that whiny face, just like, and all you LeBron lovers are saying, yeah, it's because he got fouled every time. You're missing the point. Get back to the sermon, right? I mean, if ever we are wrongly accused of something we didn't do, we just rebel against that. I mean, think of in a far more serious situation. Like you hear those stories of people on death row, and we find out from DNA evidence that they didn't do it. I mean, man, we just feel that deeply, that injustice. And that is where David's at. David, he is in great distress. He's in a real bad way, and it's nothing that he did to put him there. You ever felt that? Maybe you've been treated unjustly. Maybe you've been wrongly accused. Who knows? Maybe right now you're being chased by a virus that you didn't cause, and it's wreaking havoc in your life. You know, hey, I don't want to project, right? But on a serious note, like maybe you're in that place. Some of our people could already have unjustly lost their job. David said he feels like, you know, a lion ripping him apart. Maybe you right now are watching, and it's like a lion just ripping your company apart. Maybe it's a company you built, and you feel kind of this bleak circumstance that David feels, and it feels hopeless. If that's where you're at, I want you to know that is where David is at. And what could we learn from him? What does David teach us of how do we find hope in distress. I think we can glean some things from David as we look at Psalm 7 of finding hope in distress. 
So as David cries out to God, you know, and kind of admits to God that he believes he's innocent, where does David turn? Where does he find hope? He picks it up in verse 6. Arise, O Lord, in your anger. Come for the appointed judgment. So David's struggling, and he finds hope in the wrath and impending judgment of God. So if you're struggling, I want you to know that God is full of wrath, and there is impending judgment. God bless. Have a great week. I don't know that that is where I would have turned, right? Was that like your knee-jerk reaction when you're in times of distress? Like when you're struggling, do you just turn to God and just think of his wrath and the fiery arrows he will rain down and it just warms your low heart, right? I mean, that is not where I initially turn when I'm struggling. But I think part of what we have to learn, I think we have a fundamental misunderstanding of judgment, particularly of those of us who are right with God. See, for us, judgment is almost always a threat. You're going to be judged one day. You're going to stand before God one day. Is that, is that what you want to be doing when Jesus come back? Like, we're always using judgment as a threat. But for a Jew, for the Hebrews... Judgment wasn't a threat. It was a promise that they hoped for, not a threat that they avoided. See, if you look through the Psalms, judgment, more often than not, is a a saving act. God showing up on behalf of those that are oppressed. C.S. Lewis, in talking about the Psalms, helped me see this. When we think of judgment, we almost always picture a criminal scene. You're the one on trial. You know, I'm the one on trial before God, and he is going to judge us. But that's not the picture here. The picture here is actually of a civil case where we are the plaintiff, and we have a case against someone who abused us, against an accused, and we're waiting for God, the judge, to come and give us justice. See, judgment, in King David's eyes, is an act of salvation. But we have such a hard time processing judgment in God's wrath. You know, it's not, you know, it's not kind of in vogue right now. But look at it. It talks about God's anger. And it's not a bad thing. God's love and his wrath, they are not opposites. They're complements. They flow out of each other. God's wrath and love work in concert. They're both a part of his character. And some people, if they make you choose, do you believe in a God of wrath or a God of love? That's a false dichotomy. You don't have to choose. God is clearly both, and we should wrap our heads around that. And I may even be able to help you wrap your head around this now, that these aren't opposites. So right now, I want you to think of somebody that you love dearly. Picture that person. You know, a family member, maybe you're in the room with them. You know, they're in your living room right now. I want to picture, you know, whether it be your spouse, your parent, your kid. Do you love that person? Yes. Now I want you to picture someone doing great harm to them. What do you feel right now? I'm guessing, much like God, You have an emotion of anger and wrath welling up inside you. I'm not naturally an angry person. 
But when I think of people harming those that I love, God, it just visceral just wells up inside of me, and that is righteous anger. As equally as God is filled with love, He is equally as filled with wrath upon the evil that attacks and harms that which that God loves. God's love and wrath. They're not incompatible. And if you really wrap your heads around God's, you know, wrath and his judgment, I think you can experience great healing and hope from that. Because, listen to me, if you've been harmed, I want you to hear this. When you are harmed, one of the hard things is to feel like God didn't care about me. But you hear this. David is calling upon the anger of the Lord. And he says, God feels indignation every day. God is righteously angry every day when he sees harm being done to those that he loves. So I want you to know that. For all of us that have been harmed, God, did you, he just didn't care. He wasn't careless, and it wasn't just pity. When the way that you were harmed, God was angry. And I want you to know one of the other hard things to let go Is that person that hurt you, picturing them getting away, that guilty person getting away with what they've done. And maybe it was your ex, or maybe I don't know who it was that harmed you, but there'd be great healing if you understand this. Justice will be done. David reminds us of that. Whoever hurt you, they will not get away with it. Maybe they'll repent and justice will be done through the cross and we pray for that. But I promise you, God cares for how you have been harmed. God is angry and indignant about that and I can promise you that justice will be done. I think properly understanding judgment can be great healing and hope. So I want to help us kind of wrap our head around judgment a little bit. So again, where does David find hope in distress? He finds hope in the sword and the shield. Both of those appear in the psalm. And what do I mean by that? Like, I wish I would have just had a sword to make this point in. What are the odds? Oh my goodness. All right. So I brought in a prop, a coal sword. I'm like so tempted to try to chop the pulpit in half, but that would send a really weird message for the sermon. But here's the deal, okay? David finds great hope in the sword and the shield. The sword in this psalm is a picture of judgment. He says that, I will wet my sword. I will ready my sword. David's great hope and distress is that one day judgment will come. Do you know that? And do you hope in that? That one day God is going to come. That Jesus is going to come. You see that picture in Revelation. Jesus coming on this horse with his sword. And he's going to make all things right. No matter how bad it is right now. No matter how crazy it is. Do you find hope that one day Jesus is going to come back and make all things right? Do you worship a God that is that strong that could help us? And make all things new. We love Jesus with a sheep, but we don't think him about him enough as Jesus with a sword. See, the way I think of Jesus' sword, it's like a surgeon's scalpel. See, a surgeon's scalpel, what does it do? It just, just t- cuts away 
all of the cancer, all of the bad things in your body, the surgeon's scalpel cuts it out so you can be healthy. That's what the judgment sword of Jesus does. One day he's going to come and he's going to carve out all the evil in this world. Without judgment, there's no hope of heaven and eternity. We just take all our sin and our evil and we put that in heaven. There's no hope in that. The hope is in the sword of Christ. You know that's coming one day. Are you prepared for that? And if you have made your peace with God through Christ, that is a wonderful saving act. I mean, think of all the pain in the world right now. All the death in the world right now. Do you know that one day when Jesus comes with the sword, all that will be gone. All the bad things in the world will be undone. Death will be no more. There are no more viruses after Jesus comes with the sword. There's no more layoffs, no more firings. It says that there will be no more tears. Every tear will be wiped from your eye. Do you stop right now? Will you stop and take hope in that, in the sword of Christ? David cries out, God, come back to your throne and rule. He says, let the assemblies of the people be gathered about you. That's coming one day. Jesus is going to return with his sword and make all things new. No matter how bad it gets, I want you to find hope that that day's coming. See, all of us, we're counting down the days to where we can, you know, get out of lockdown and get out of our homes and we find hope that that day's coming. I want you in your mind to almost be counting down to the day when Jesus will return with the sword, like a surgeon's scalpel removing all that is evil and making all things new. So David, understanding judgment, clings to the sword of Christ. That day is coming, but that day is future. See, I want us to find hope in that, but more than just giving us a hope for the future, God helps us in the present. See, until Jesus comes with the sword, he offers us his shield. What are the odds? A shield's right here. So, I want us in the present to, to take great hope in the shield. This is Captain America's actual shield. I had him send it to me, and I just lied from the pulpit. I'm sorry. This is actually a grill cover that was made into a shield. Full disclosure, all right? But I want you to know, let me, I want to read how one commentator said it. Look, Mayer says it this way, full deliverance is future, but protection is present. I want you to wrap your head around that. Look, Full deliverance is future, but protection is present. So as we await the sword and the future deliverance that is to come, do you understand that God gives us his shield? I want you to read this beautiful promise kind of with me. Let me just kind of read it over you. Verse 10. My shield is with God who saves Did you hear that verse read over you? Verse 10, I want you to store that away in your heart. My shield is with God who saves the upright in heart. 
Do you know that that is true in your life? One day, God is going to return and make all things new. Until then, he gives us his shield. What is the shield? It is for protection. Do you understand in all this chaos, in our temptation to fear, do you believe that this morning, that God is your shield? That he will protect you? Part of the reason I think we're anxious is we find our protection and our shield and our savings and our 401k and all the other things in society and we're feeling those things just leak and leak like a sift and it, we don't feel protected. In this season, are you turning to God as your protection? Is God your shield? My shield is with God. If you need that right now, I want you to even just proclaim that out loud. My shield is with God. Do you understand until he comes back, we are in a battle. But in that battle, God doesn't leave us completely unprotected. He gives us his shield. Now look, we're in a battle and we're going to get our battle scars. Because think about it, David is having great difficulty. He's having trials. That's the context of this psalm. And I can't promise you that you're not going to lose your job. I can't promise you that no Christian will get sick throughout this. Of course I can't, but what does he say? You know, lest my soul be tore apart. Yes, you may experience some difficulty and pain. But you cling to the promise that God will be the shield over your soul no matter how this goes, that you can sing, it is well with my soul. So I want you, I want all of us to cry out for that. Even in preparing this message, I was reminding myself that that is true, but I wasn't even myself actively crying out to God. That is a massive lesson from the Psalms of how we can walk with God through difficult emotions, and part of that is crying out to Him. Do you hear how David cries out to God? I mean, it is raw. He doesn't sanitize his prayers. Save me, God. Give ear to my words, God. Give attention to the sound of my cry. Answer me. Do you feel the freedom to boldly cry out to God? I would encourage you to. Be honest with what you're feeling. If you're in that place, like, God, I am wigging out. I feel like this is, everything is falling apart, and I feel hopeless. I want you to feel the freedom to whatever you're going through to honestly cry out to God. Don't have these nice kind of just Christianese prayers. One of the titles I was thinking about for this was sanitize your hands, not your prayers. You know, the, the sanitize, the virus thing, but you, you get the point, right? Like, stop sanitizing these nice prayers. If you haven't yet, I want you, I want all of us to honestly cry out to God. But it's not to just complain to Him. I want us to, to cling to him is our shield. 
Tell God that you're afraid, but you will look to Him to be your shield. You'll await the sword, find hope in what is to come. But until that day, that He is your shield and your protector. So in times of distress, when David is in distress, he looked to the shield and the sword. I want to encourage you with that same hope. I don't know the situation and all the different things you're going through. But I know the sword of Christ is coming. And in that day, all things will be made new. Find hope in that. But until that day comes, I want you to experience the protection of Christ as we cry out to him and cling to his shield. I hope you are encouraged by this psalm. But one of my favorite things about these bonus Sundays is encouraging each other with the scriptures but also to encourage each other by hearing a redemption story. So you know these, if you've seen them before, they're not two, three minutes, a little longer, seven, eight minutes. But I hope you're encouraged by this story of hearing one of our own that have walked through the battles of life and experienced Christ's redemption as they have experienced his protection along the way. Enjoy this story. I grew up in the church and not only was I growing up in the church and just going to church like a lot of people can say they did as children, but I lived in the church because my parents were both ministers. Uh, my mother was an evangelist and my father was a minister. He was a deacon at some point um, and he eventually became a pastor. And so there were a lot of expectations with me being a minister, the PK kid. Uh, and I think that the way I was supposed to see the world and live in the world was at a higher standard than I saw in my own home life. My parents met when I was almost, I was probably six months. They got married when I was one, so it was a really quick marriage. They didn't know each other too well, but um, he was the only father. He is the only father I'd ever known. And so they eventually had three more children, but from as early as I can remember, I remember there being those feelings of anger towards me or just disappointment. My father was very physically abusive to my mother, uh, and in turn, a lot of it came onto me because I wasn't his biological child. So we dealt with that. When I was a teenager, we had an, a situation which was a little bit more intense. Um, and my father was asked to leave our house temporarily and we had the locks changed and then a few days later my mother comes back and she says daddy's coming back uh, and I had to sit down with my brothers and my father and he gave us a speech and he said I'm the I'm the leader of this house I'm in charge and so it doesn't matter what happened I'm still in charge uh, and so from that point on, I definitely felt not my relationship with God go away, but definitely my relationship with the church and the people that I was supposed to trust and support or find support in from the church. So I graduated from college and then I became a huge partier. <laughs> so I went out a lot. Uh, I would go out on a Tuesday night 
come back in the house at five, go change, shower really quickly and go to start to teaching because I was already working. Um, and I decided randomly, maybe we'll start going back to church. And so I talked to some of my partying friends and I said, hey, why don't we you know, go attend this one church? There was a church in Columbus and people were like, you know, this is the party church. Like people are there, you see them in the club, but you see them at church too. And they're really accepting. So, okay, cool, we'll go to that church. So we'll be a little hungover, but we'll be there. So we would, you know, get up, go to services sometimes. And then we say, all right, and after church, we'll go to a different day party. So we just partied a lot. But one of the sermons that that pastor had gave was uh, advising us or suggesting to us that we pick up reading our Bibles every day consistently for three months. And then something big was gonna happen in our lives. Probably the day before my final reading of that three months, I went to a regular doctor's appointment and I was told I was pregnant. <laughs> and I was completely devastated. <laughs> and I was like, God, really? I, I know, we said three months and then something big. I didn't think you was gonna give me a baby. Like, it's not what I wanted. Not the type of surprise I was looking for. But from the moment of me finding out about my son, I, not even all the way consciously, but I started thinking like, I have to, I have to change. Like, I have to do something differently. I have to fix my life. So after I had Dez, we lived in Columbus for his first year. And so I made the decision to move closer to family. Uh, and I was really scared and it really was on a whim. I just was driving the car randomly. I saw a job opening in Twinsburg and I'd never heard of Twinsburg before. I filled out the application and they called me back pretty quickly. And in no time I had a job and I was like, okay, well, I guess I'm moving. So I ended up moving up to Northeast Ohio. And I did uh, have a conversation with my principal that works at Twinsburg. And he just was wanting to know how I was as far as getting acclimated in the area. And I told him, you know, it's been rough. I don't know anybody, I don't have any friends. And I, he said, well, do you have a church? And I said, no, I would love to have a church. Uh, and so I felt we were both from Youngstown and I felt we had a good vibe going. So I thought he understood me. And so he said, well, you know, I live in Stowe and you just moved to Stowe too, because I had randomly just found a place in Stowe and I thought that was a good enough distance from my school. Um, and so he said, you should check out the church that I've been going to. So that is how I found Redemption Chapel. Um, he told me they had a good kid zone. And I said, well, that sounds good. I want my son to be somewhere where he can learn about Jesus. I'll try it out. And I was completely uncomfortable. <laughs> and I, I looked at I looked around and I just thought to myself, like, I thought he and I had a pretty clear understanding of what I needed. And this is not what I meant. And I always tell people, like, I walked in and I was like, I am the only chocolate chip in this cookie. The sermon just so happened to be on uh, diversity and how you have more in common with a person who is another believer than someone who shares the same race or other cultural identification as you do. It, it gets me choked up when I look around the church and I see all the men. I'm used to women dominating churches aside from the, the minister, um, but to see all the men with their hands raised, tears flowing down their faces, and I'm like, wow, they love God. Like, this is deep. Like, these men, men, these are your men, God. Wow. That 
to me was probably one of the bigger things that initially told me I needed to be there because I have a son and I want my son to be like the young men I see at Redemption that love God. That, that means a lot. A lot of times we think we have to get right before we come to God, and that's me. Well, you gotta put your pride down and just get comfortable with coming to God completely broken, because he knows your whole life, he knows your whole story. He was there with you when you was that little kid, crying in your bed, and he was the one that you were crying to. He knows you, like why, why do you feel like you can't be broken before God? And that's how he wants me to be. He wants me to be the person that needs redemption, and I like that. I'm Danae, and this is my redemption story. All right, go ahead and dab your eyes if you need to. I mean, I love that. It is so moving to hear how God is still on the move and hearing how God has moved in Danae's life. I promise God is still moving in this world. Like at the end of her story that she just shared, if we would just be broken before him like kids and cry out, like David cried out, we don't need to fear him, that he will forgive us that he will adopt us as his kids. And in that case, we don't have to fear judgment. We would just long for the day when our Heavenly Father will return. I hope you're ready for that day. And I want us to now, the only appropriate response in light of God's word, in light of watching that story of how God is moving in people's lives. One person I read said, look, there can be no petition without praise. And man, yeah, we want to cry out to God, but in light of how he answers our prayers and forgives us, we should move into praise. Let me pray as we now move into singing and worship together. Let's pray. Father, we are about to sing how you have never failed us yet. How the battle is won. No one will stand before the sword of Christ. And in that, God, I pray that we would have great confidence and hope in that day. And God, until that day comes, we trust that you will watch over us and be with us. And so, God, as we cry out to you, part of our cry would be praising you in your name praising the glorious name of Jesus. It's in that name we pray. Amen.